Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna take this anymore and we're back today's show is all about the gift that keeps on giving. No, I'm not talking about cancer this time. It's COVID. Our best friend of the last three years and counting. It's not gone, but it's kind of gone, but not for a lot of people. Long COVID is the issue of the day, and I welcome here live in studio returning champion Meta Dyberg, the founder and CEO of MyMe. She is Oscrip Health senior femtech badass, says me, and Dr. David Petrino. He is the director of rehabilitation innovation at Mount Sinai Health System and the Assistant Professor of Rehabilitation Medicine of the ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. He has a PhD in neuroscience from the University of Western Australia, and he does, get this, computational neuroscience, words I've never said before. He also runs the Red Bull High Performance Division at Weill Cornell, which focuses on sports performance and something called the Not Impossible Labs, where he's known as the chief mad scientist. I think this guy's Rick and Morty combined into one. But between he and Meta, we really dig into what the hell's going on with COVID in this country around the world. Why does this affect certain people? Why does it disproportionately affect certain people? What do we have to look forward to in the next couple of years? And how does this set the stage for, drumroll please, the next inevitable pandemic? Enjoy the show. So welcome back. You brought a gift. Yes, I did. Hello, One of David. The best. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's Christmas in December. That is true. It's so, really hot. <laughs> it is really hot. I don't. This show's going to air in like mid-January, but like you know, this is early December, and we have no idea what's going to be in mid-January. It could be like ninety degrees. Yeah. You guys are getting an Australian Christmas. <laughs> that's, that's what. True. That's what David brought to us. Yeah. I prepared just for you. Uh, my favorite. Australian joke. And it's relevant to right now. What do you call an Aussie in the finals of the World Cup? <laughs> I have no idea. The referee. <laughs> yep, fair enough. We know by now that clearly they're out. But I figured, you know, it's it's the World Cup. And countries outside of this country care about that. And you are not of this country. Although you are now of this country. Yeah, more or less. Child of immigrants in Australia, huh? Yeah, my parents were both born in Italy. And what possessed them to go to Australia? Well, you know, post-World War II, I think there are a lot of people 
getting out of uh, Italy and most people were told you can go to America or you can go to Australia. And I think some of the more questionable folks said, get me as far away from Italy as possible. <laughs> and yeah, my family were definitely in, in that category. So they moved to Australia. Yeah, I would say like, you know, safety is inversely proportional to distance from Mussolini's grave. Yeah, that's a- Is that fair? That's a fair algorithm, <laughs> yeah. So Meta, why David? Because David is awesome. No, it's, it's you know, it, in reality, I think as we've been going through these past couple of years of first COVID and, and a lot of unknowns and still to some extent more questions than answers, um, long COVID has taken up more and more space in, in this healthcare landscape and few has been able to- Keep keep their eyes open to what's beyond what's the known piece here. Um, I think we've had a lot of gaslighting. We've had a lot of healthcare professionals that actually just sort of uh, got blindsided, and it it doesn't fit into the way that healthcare is delivered. And so I thought it would be a super interesting conversation to have. And uh, I hope you agree. Absolutely. I'm excited. Well, no one could have predicted long COVID, clearly. Like this is, uh, or, or is it, are you not surprised in the scientific community that this is the thing now? Well, I, I think certainly, uh, you know, I was a little blindsided. I did not really spend a lot of time in virology or post-viral illness. But I also think that if you speak to anyone who's been an ME-CFS researcher for- wait, wait. Acronyms. What yep. does that mean? My apologies. I was about to correct myself. Myalgic encephalomyelitis, which is also sometimes known as chronic fatigue syndrome, which we shortened down to MECFS. Gesundheit. <laughs> Thank you. So anyone in the MECFS community, you can see them warning the community because we have the receipts now. We we know that there are experts that were on Twitter saying there's going to be a huge amount of post-viral illness. And sure enough, we started seeing post-viral illness in New York City. Uh, the first records that we have of it on on our data is sort of, you know, late March, early April. Some of our folks that we were monitoring with acute COVID were just not getting better and they were starting to say, you know, would say, what are your symptoms? And they would start to say the, the symptoms that we've come to now know as cardinal for long COVID. I've got, you know, shortness of breath, extreme fatigue, you know, if I try and exercise, I crash. My my brain isn't working the way that it used to. I'm having difficulty with my cognition. So I think that the post-viral community was, you know, on the money and they were warning us. And But we still got blindsided because it's very much been a silent illness for a long time. You know, a lot of the people in the MECFS community talk about millions missing as their sort of hashtag and rallying cry because... We're just told that these people disappear. You know, we don't know what happens to them. Well, they've gone missing with post-viral illness. Is there any data to support that people with long COVID had COVID classic or COVID delta? You know, like the, the many variations of this little molecule and this little virus. Is it less worse or more worse depending on the severity of when it started versus today? You know, it, it's... Such a, a challenging question because we still haven't done a good job of counting all of the cases of long COVID. We still have, you know, there was a paper published in JAMA just two days ago that 
are still, you know, participating in the collective gaslighting of people with long COVID. The paper showed that folks who tested PCR negative uh, had a similar level of long COVID-like symptoms as those who tested PCR positive. And they said, ha ha, see, you know, clearly um, it's the pandemic that's making people have these long-term symptoms. It's not COVID. But what they didn't fail, what they failed to mention was the fact that most PC, you know, there's a very high false negative rate in PCR testing. And so what this paper really tells us is there's a whole lot of people who had the misfortune to test PCR negative, even though they were feeling very unwell and they probably had COVID. And now they've got a PCR negative test on their medical record, but they have long COVID. Uh, and so with all of this complexity, we're trying to count the number of cases. We're trying to count how the vaccine influences case count. We're trying to count how different variants influence cases of long COVID. And so it's just a very challenging question to, to answer definitively. The best studies to date have shown that probably the vaccine lowers your chances of getting long COVID by a small amount, maybe five or 6%, but we're still seeing numbers being thrown around in the seven to 15% range of if you get COVID, it's looking like you've got a seven to 15% chance of going on to get long COVID. So it's still an alarming number of folks that are at risk. But but in like layman's language, I would say like, so I'm an economist, not a doctor. If you are on a ventilator in the early days, your chances of long COVID is smaller than if you had what I call light COVID. You had a you had a mild case of Diet COVID. COVID. <laughs> Diet COVID. If you had a light case of COVID, had a couple of days, felt a little bit unwell, and then you're back to work and you felt fine. That population, three to four weeks later, crash. And what they do is sort of crash and burn get back up and then they go back down. So it's almost like the pattern goes like three, four weeks and then you hit rock bottom, climb your way out of the hole and then three, four weeks later you have another sort of circular. And so a lot of times people don't seek medical help if they actually start to feel better. So the problem is also that you, nobody is actually reporting into hospitals on at least six months in, sometimes even a year. Your platform, MyMe, tracks, you know, users have chronic conditions and you work your algorithmic magic on, you know, aligning them with nutrition and wellness to improve. Do you have any long COVID people using your platform? So at the moment, I think over half of our platform is long COVID, actually largely due to the collaboration that we did with Dr. Petrino and Mount Sinai. So back in May of 2020, David reached out and was like, we, we're having this influx of this patient population that we actually don't really know what to do with. We, we didn't have a name for them yet. They, they looked autoimmune. There was some POTS-like symptoms, myocarditis, but it wasn't like, this is what we're going to do. The Levine protocol was basically as good as it got in, in spring of 2020. And so we started actually taking people through uh, our protocol with long COVID to see, is there any underlying issues that are similar? Is there things that we can actually make interventions on today? And a lot of the very, very early stuff was, to be quite frank, um, miniature pieces in a very big puzzle, but things like, you know, the vegetarians and vegans on the surface looked like they were doing worse 
than the carnivores. But if you actually then dig, dug a little deeper, it wasn't because they were vegetarian. It was literally down to the grams of protein that anyone was having. So protein shakes as a medical intervention actually help people alleviate fatigue. And so a lot of the nuances made it clear that similarly to autoimmune and other immunosuppressant diseases, there was things to be done in, in the lifestyle and environment, but like with everything else, there was no one size fits all. It was not like you could go out and say, drink this and eat this and you'll be fine. And so I think navigating this no one size fits all has been the problem with long COVID, right? Because everybody's reacting so differently and symptomatically also so differently. And I'd also, you know, love to point out the fact that, um, you know, Miami was amazing, you know, in terms of jumping into the fire when we needed the help because we needed the help. And we knew we needed an individualized coaching strategy, which is is not the traditional healthcare way. And so I was really blessed to know Meta and be able to say, Miami, help us out. And as we've come to learn more and more about long COVID, one of the things that has been, you know, really evident is we have actually hard data on this. You know, it's only 20 to 30% of our patients that when you get the lifestyle things right, when you when you get the rehab things right, when you do all of the interventions, all of the interventions in our current sort of toolkit, it's only 25 to 30% that actually get better. It's a, lot, a much larger number of folks, more like 60% that they get better, they, they, they can manage their symptoms, but it's very evident that they still have a lifelong condition or a, or a chronic complex condition. We don't know if it's lifelong yet, but we do know that everything that we're doing to mitigate their symptoms is just mitigating symptoms. We're just managing symptoms. We're not curing the underlying cause. And so we have protocols in place for our, our long COVID patients. But now the next step for us is really doing aggressive research to come up with precision medicine targets to, to treat what it, whatever is going on under the surface that keeps bringing these symptoms on no matter how carefully we manage or, or try to coach our way out of it. Right, baseline question, baseline question. Is long COVID just shit happens? Did anyone do anything wrong? Is it just your DNA was messed up and that's it? I think we're going to start to learn what predisposes you to long COVID. It's certainly we're starting to see that there are some factors that will predispose you to persistent symptoms. So, you know, for instance, you are much more, if you already have an autoimmune condition, you're much more likely to go on to develop persistent long COVID-like symptoms than someone who doesn't have an autoimmune condition. We've seen that in our folks with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. We've seen that in our folks with, with you know, lupus and Hashimoto's. All of these individuals, you can you can see it coming. They, they get COVID immediately. They're getting sicker than everybody else. And then you just, they're, they're sort of limp, their immune system's kind of just limping along after the initial infection. And you can see that it's hit them hard. But we're also seeing a lot of folks who were previously fit and healthy. You know, I've lost count of the number of marathon runners that are like, I was running marathons and now 
look at me, you know, with long COVID, which is very difficult for someone who was in that situation beforehand to to understand. This is very theoretical. I, I don't have the data yet to, to sort of go this well, far. I'm going to hold you fully accountable. <laughs> Thank so go you. Ahead. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. But one of the things that I, I think is going wrong in that particular population is actually similar to athlete burnout or athlete overtraining syndrome because what we're seeing in that cohort is mitochondrial dysfunction. Yeah. So what I think was happening was they were right at the edge. You know, they were pushing themselves, training for a marathon. They were still working full time, you know, and their body was like right at the edge of its energy expenditure. They got COVID. More often than not, they said, this is fine. I can walk this off. Got back to training as quick as they could. And then as Meta mentioned, that crashed. And then as any good marathon runner who is also working a high, high flying job would do, they they crash, they drag themselves up off the floor and they try and jump back on the horse. And what what is happening in that time is the virus is hijacking your mitochondria, which is the mitochondria, the parts of your cell that actually make energy. The powerhouse of the, the cell. The powerhouse yeah. of the cell. Thank you, AP Bio 1991. And so the virus hijacks that because they don't, the viruses don't have their own mitochondria. So they use your mitochondria to make energy for themselves, which is very sneaky and quite rude. So over time, if you're making energy for the virus and for yourself, and you're pushing yourself beyond your energy envelope, your mitochondria get damaged, your cells start to get damaged. And then all of a sudden, you actually lose the ability to efficiently and effectively produce energy, which puts you into this cycle of extreme fatigue, post-exertional symptoms, and issues with energy production that can be systemic and long-lasting. Well, and that- it's actually exactly what we've been seeing for years in the autoimmune population. It's exactly the same distinction. Uh, we we have sort of like um, a nickname for it, which is like midlife crisis, because a lot of people take up in their early, like mid-40s to mid-50s, bicycling at a high level or triathlons or something like that. And they're actually much more likely to end up with an autoimmune disease than the ones that have a more sedentary, more like regular gym exercise life, which is unexpected, right? Because people sort of feel like more exercise, more healthy. And in our world, not necessarily. And similarly, in a way, to your point around managing of disease, what we've seen is that autoimmune disease is a slow build. So over a decade, you sort of get used to a little bit more nuisance year by year. But the long COVID patients, when actually answering the same questionnaires, they had no ability because they got sick overnight. And so if you look at the scores, initially we were terrified of the long COVID population, but what we realized is it was exactly the same symptomology and so on as the autoimmune population. The difference was that it had happened so fast that their ability to manage their own disease was completely non-existing. Well, on that note, that weird note, shame on you for getting in shape, people. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Be right back with Meta and David. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. 
It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy. Like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, we're back, and there's no rhyme or reason to you could be fit, you could be not fit. In, in the cancer world, athletes get cancer all the time, and no one knows why. It's like your, your genes are your destiny. And, we, you know, we talk about determinants of health, but your DNA is the start of that, right? You can't deny how you were made up by molecules and how things affect that. But at the same time, autoimmune disease, about 80% of it is actually turned on by lifestyle environment. And so similarly, you know, we have to look at the broader picture here. We've actually been sitting on an autoimmune epidemic for decades. In 2012, which was the last public number, we have 41.6 million people in America with what is considered like pre-autoimmune, which is elevated ANA. And then we stopped- ANA. ANA. Acronym. Antinuclear antibodies. Thank you. I'm so lucky that I actually remember the answers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Putting you on the spot right now. <laughs> no. So, so David, you mentioned, you know, I noticed you worked in, in um, I'm not going to say this right, but like at, athlete therapy or something like that. Talk about that. Yeah. So I have, you know, the best job in the world in that I get to work with a lot of different populations. So I, I will literally some days walk out of an office after working with, an Olympic level athlete of some sort and walk into a room with a person who's completely locked in with ALS and we'll be doing different things, obviously, but, you know, I work across the performance uh, spectrum. So one of the things that I get to do is work with high performance athletes. Uh, we work with groups like Red Bull and the Brooklyn Nets and the US Olympic team and a couple of Premier League teams across the pond, uh, all around uh, it's not sports medicine, it's performance enhancement. So we we look into ways that we can make people push themselves to the limits of, of human performance. And, and destroy their mitochondria. Beyond, and <laughs> hopefully maintain their mitochondria while they're pushing themselves to the limits. Reminds you of like Ivan Drago's training in Rocky IV? Exa I mean, that's my 
always. You're my, basing uh, all your yeah, science on that. All my science. I mean, <laughs> hey, I mean, that's how I got I, my haircut. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Brigitte Nielsen. Now, how Brigitte Nielsen of you? He is a molecular biologist. That uh, is true. So I gotta give him props. I was reading that you call yourself the chief mad scientist of the not impossible labs. That's the greatest title of all time. Tell me more about that. <laughs> Others call me that. I, I mean, I'm uh, I'm very honored to hold that mantle. But um, yeah, Not Impossible Labs is a group that uh, I started working with about 10 years ago. They focus on rapid responses to humanitarian crises and uh, crises, and and we focus on you know science-based solutions. So, for instance, uh, we did a project called Project Daniel where. Um, there was a, a young kid in South Sudan who had had both of his arms blown off by um, an unexploded landmine that suddenly exploded or an unexploded bomb that suddenly exploded. And uh, we uh, sent a team out to South Sudan and we developed the world's first uh, 3D printed prosthetic and a 3D printing prosthetics clinic out of a hospital in South Sudan. And, and so, you know, that clinic is still to this day operating out of South Sudan and providing low-cost accessible prosthetic limbs to people who have lost their limbs. So that's one example of a project. We've done, you know, dozens of projects with No Impossible, but it's all focused around rapid action. I think a lot of what I focus on in my lab is I focus on this frustrating idea that it takes 17 years for a health technology solution to go from bench to bedside in the United States. And we just don't think it should take that long. We think it should be instant and and we should be able to activate solutions quickly. And for a decade, you know, Not Impossible Labs has definitely scratched that itch for me. When I get frustrated that something's taking too long at Mount Sinai, I can go off and do a project with them and, you know, take take something from idea to to you know, out in the world doing some good in a couple of days as opposed to, you know, waiting for 10 years. Well, you're showing us. <laughs> Shame <laughs> on you, system. <laughs> All right, going back to long, 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 long COVID. Do people know they have long COVID? Is it self-evident or, or like I'm just dealing with this and it'll go away? To, to the question about the numbers, you know, I think that the biggest issue is that a lot of folks don't know that they have long covid yet. We were recruiting, a, a concrete example of this was we were recruiting for a long COVID trial where we needed three groups. We needed people with long COVID. We needed people who had never had COVID. So we called them COVID naive. And then we had people, oh, yeah, I know, <laughs> science <you>. talk. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had individuals that had had COVID and fully recovered from COVID. So if you were in the, the COVID naive group or the recovered COVID group, we, of course, accepted your application, you know, like, please let, let me into the study. And then we asked them to complete a questionnaire about general symptoms that were similar to long COVID. Um, because for the people who had never had COVID, we wanted to make sure that they hadn't gotten asymptomatic COVID and were experiencing long COVID symptoms. And for the folks that claim to have recovered from COVID, we wanted to make sure that, that they really had recovered. And so we had a hundred people volunteer to be part of the COVID recovered group. And we had to ultimately throw out 50% because they failed the screening questionnaire. They were showing symptoms that were highly consistent with long COVID. 
the, they had no idea. They had no idea. We told them that they should speak to their doctor, but we did not diagnose them because that wasn't the purpose of the screening exam. But, you know, it was uh, the common narrative was, yeah, yeah, I'm fully recovered. I, I just don't exercise anymore. Why don't you exercise? Oh, well, if I exercise, I crash. I was like, okay, well, does, does that worry you? Isn't that a trigger? Don't yeah. you? <laughs> um, and, you know, oh, yeah, I'm fully recovered, but I have to, like, I, I can't look at a screen after a certain time because I get a headache. Or, you, you know, it, it, it was all of this, I'm fully recovered, but, and then you would hear some manifestation of fatigue, cognitive impairment, post-exertional symptoms that was, you know, for a long COVID researcher, very, very evident. And to see 50% of our cohort just get struck down in the moment because they clearly had symptoms. Whereas in the COVID naive group, the group that had never had COVID, 1% failed the screening. So that really shows you the, the, the difference in persistent symptom or new onset symptoms in the two cohorts was, was very evident. Matt, so what are you seeing as the principal side effects or quality of life disruptions in people with long COVID on your platform? It's it's the same, right? It's 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 brain fog. It's inability to go through your day as you used to because of fatigue. Um, it's a lot of joint pain. It's of course in some cases myocarditis and 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 breathing, but less so. I would say the the two predominant things is fatigue and brain fog. People are simply unable to live regular lives. And where I think we are we are actually sort of crossing over here is when we are talking about the autoimmune population and this idea that they are wow, I'm losing my train of thought. Maybe I'm having a mm -hmm. symptom. We're no. seeing it live right <laughs> yeah, here. We're seeing it live right here. No, but what what I actually think is a bigger deal than probably what we are seeing. So David is talking about, hey, we have this population in a study and we can see 50% of them displaying symptoms. We see the other, the flip side of it, which is people coming to us with newly diagnosed. You walk in the door with fibromyalgia, you walk in the door with a rheumatic autoimmune disease. We look at you and we're like, I'm sorry, but that's not your disease. You have long COVID. Their doctors have never asked them I was going to say primary care, mm. are they, you know, wh where's primary care in this? Is it fair to even put anything on primary care to know about this stuff if the data's not even there? It's, it's, it's not even there. It's, not, it's nobody's fault that this is happening. But when somebody walks through the door and says, the first time I ever seeked medical help, I got diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I'm sorry, but every bell rings <laughs> because that is not how it works. You have fibromyalgia, you spend years in the system getting a diagnosis. Right now, because of long COVID, there's an acceleration of getting from zero to diagnosis because primary care doctors, they look at these long COVID symptoms and instead of asking, did you have COVID? If so, could there be other questions to follow up? They immediately acknowledge some of the sort of traits that go into these diagnoses. Are there people who had these symptoms before, like brain fog is something I live with because of cancer, right? It's just all there, the gift that keeps on giving. Here's a new gift that keeps on giving, but my symptoms are kind of the same after COVID. How do I know comparatively that this is exacerbated because of COVID? So we actually see when long COVID people come into the program and they clear up their long COVID issues, oftentimes they'll say, oh, you know what? 
prior to COVID, I had this issue. Can I also get help with that? And so what was actually sort of eye-opening is how many people have been walking around with a pretty severe symptomology for years, but they've just not had a way to communicate it or accelerate it in a way that the healthcare system actually took them serious. Yeah. And from from my perspective, as we treat, we don't really care what's causing the symptoms. We just do our best to, to treat the symptoms as we can. But when we study, that's when we start to try and get specific. So for instance, in our biggest phenotyping study to date, where we really tried to dig into the immune biology of long COVID, um, we did not, we, we excluded from the analysis folks with prior autoimmune conditions, with ME-CFS, with, uh, with Lyme disease or post-treatment Lyme disease, because we really wanted to make sure that what we were seeing was not post-treatment Lyme exacerbated by COVID, but actually long COVID. So when we're studying, we try to be very specific about that. We try to understand, okay, were you experiencing some of these things beforehand? If someone was a cancer survivor who was actively taking chemotherapy or had been recently taken, been on chemotherapy, we probably would not have accepted them into the study because we were really quite selective about the, the initial sample. What we're doing now is we are opening the recruitment to more of these complex cases because now, now that we have just long COVID, now we want to understand long COVID plus. So one thing to, to think about here is also how things are overlapping, right? Because when, when you have people walk in with a diagnosis to a study, you have to do the clean out. You have to do sort of clinical research in, in that manner. But the reality is that when you do real world evidence, you get the hodgepodge. Like we generally don't see autoimmune patients that just have lupus. They have lupus as maybe their first or second diagnosis, but then they have all these other things. And so in the real world studies that we do, these patients would never made it into any clinical trials. So our data looks different, but it looks different for a reason, because if we had had exclusion criteria like the traditional RCTs, none of these people would have ever made it. RCT. Random control study. See what I did there? All right, as we start to wrap up, listeners... What can they do? Is what 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 is the public websites or how do people talk about this? How do you self-identify? Where can people go if they feel like like I have fibromyalgia today? <laughs> what, what, what's out there for folks? Yeah, I, I mean, on the long COVID front, I'm a big fan of a lot of patient-led organizations. There's uh, the Patient-Led Research Collaborative. There's the bo uh, Body Politic. These are two groups that came out in the pandemic and have been centering patient voices, leading important research, doing incredible stuff. There's also a group in the UK that we've been contributing to a lot that have put together a repository of like very easy to understand and read resources for how to manage your own symptoms. They're called long COVID physio. Um, and I, I would recommend those resources as a starting point for long COVID um, to anybody. They're easy to understand. They're easy to navigate. And they really have been developed by people with long COVID for people with long COVID. And of course, Meta, your platform, MyMe, M-Y-M-E-E.com. 
Sure. But I also think that it's important to sort of, if we are talking about people who are out there, because the people who come to us, they're very aware that their their bodies is sort of giving in. But where I think it's important is everyone who goes to the doctor and gets these immediate diagnoses at the moment to 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 stop up and sort of take a deep breath and say, okay, instead of going down the rabbit hole of immunosuppressants or chemo or whatever it is that you're being offered to to potentially get a second opinion and see if there is long COVID. David, take us out. Final thoughts. Well, I think final thoughts, the, the most important message I can put out, especially in this holiday period, is that the only way to not get long COVID right now that is evidence-based is to not get COVID. So please, please, please wear masks, test regularly, protect others, and, you know, do your best to stay healthy. All right. Meta Dyberg, returning champion to the Out of Patients podcast, founder and CEO of MyMe, and I call you the Offscript Health Senior Femtech Badass. All right, Dave Petrino, I'm going to take a deep breath here. There's way too much stuff, but any, just Google David Petrino. That's like the first nine Google search pages. Director of Rehabilitation Innovation at Mount Sinai Health System, Assistant Professor of Rehabilitation Medicine at ICANN School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, PhD in Neuroscience, Computational Neuroscience from Harvard, Red Bull High Performance Division at Well Cornell, the Non-Impossible Labs, and a, a nonprofit called No Science, which will, I guess we'll have you back and talk about that too. <laughs> Thank you. All right, long COVID. What, what a way to make the rest of us feel like slackers. And me, Matt, <laughs> for some reason I'm still here. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye, Thank folks. Thank you. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an off-script health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com.